Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the B-Side for the Film Stage website. My name is Dan Mecca, and I'm with my podcast producer, Connor O'Donnell. How are you doing, Connor? I'm great. How are you? Good. We're talking today about John Singleton, the great director who passed away just last month, um, April 28th, 2019. He was only 51 years old. And, you know, the B-Side, when we intro it, it's... You know, we take established movie stars and we talk about not the movies that made them famous or kept them famous, but the movies they made in between. You know, some of them are good, some of them are bad, and and all of that. We're going to, you know, obviously make a bit of a right turn here and talk about John Singleton, who was a director, primarily producer as well. Also made some cameos in some of his movies and some people's other movies, um, some other people's movies. But he is someone who had a lot of B-sides, although he only made nine, uh, he only directed nine films, which... You know, his first movie is in, I believe, 91, and that's Boys in the Hood. And his last feature film, it pains me to say this, <laughs> is the Taylor Lautner picture, Abduction. So if you do that math, 21 years, nine movies, that's a pretty good track record. He obviously also was producing the FX show Snowball. Snowfall. No, Snowfall? Oh, Snowfall. Yeah, is Snowfall. it really Snowfall? Yeah. Oh my god! I thought I honestly in my head thought it was snowball. I feel like. Do you want to take that again, or should we keep? No, going? no, no. We're not taking it again. We're, we're owning that mistake. No. Okay. Um. So yeah, I have it written right. Here. I have it written right here. Snowball. I, I just. I. Uh, I guess I just. I. I took that F and made it a B. Uh, what I was going to say is that he also directed a very good thirty for thirty documentary about Marion Jones, who is the the runner who um, admitted to taking performance-enhancing drugs after winning a bunch of gold medals. Um, definitely seek that out. It's a ESPN uh, 30 for 30 doc. So, yeah, he's done a lot of great stuff. And I think when he passed away, me and Connor were talking. We were just like, look, what a great guy, what a great artist to celebrate, right? And obviously it's so sad to be celebrating him in the context of, of him passing away at such a young age. But I think it's as good as time as any to talk about some of the great movies he's made and some that are, I think, besides lesser known movies, some of his better, better movies. So I guess I'll start with throwing it to you, Connor. I mean, what did you, before we kind of started prepping for this uh, podcast, what did you know of John Singleton? What had you seen of his? I mean, I had seen like the bigger hits, you know, like I had seen boys in the hood uh, many, many years ago. I had seen Too Fast, Too Furious. I had seen uh, Four Brothers, you know? Right. So I, I'm i I'm certainly a, uh, like a little bit of a neophyte. Not a little had you bit. Seen, but, uh, had you seen Shaft to the uh, Shaft? I movie? had seen Shaft, yes. That's the other one, yeah. So I had seen kind of the bigger you right. know, studio things outside of Boys in the Hood, which is obviously like the landmark film. And it was kind of interesting to do this because I just kind of even even ones that we aren't really going to fully cover, like literally starting with Boys in the Hood, I was just like, let me just run through it. So right. I you know, started with Boys in the Hood, went through Poetic Justice all the way up through Baby Boy. And it's just interesting to really watch that run because you can see such an interesting evolution, right? Like in yeah. terms of like, he, I'll say this about John Singleton. He always swung big, right? For, for like for better and worse, right? Like his movies swing really big right and and he he basically like plays in the world 
of melodrama, and I don't think it's yeah. something his his movies are even shy about, right? It's not. I, I don't even know you if you can criticize them by calling them melodramas because it feels like an active decision on his part. Yeah, no, I think it's a good point, and we'll definitely get into. So the three we're going to focus on is um. 1993's Poetic Justice, which was his immediate follow-up to Boys in the Hood. Now, we should say for Boys in the Hood and John Singleton, that movie hit a chord, is a great movie. Young Kubu Gunu Jr., Young Morris Chestnut, Young Ice Cube, among many, many others. Um, it earned John Singleton a Best Director nomination at the Academy Awards, which made him the youngest director ever nominated and the first african-american director ever nominated and if you're thinking to yourself no dan that doesn't make sense spike lee definitely was nominated for best director for do the right thing no he was not which (laughs) i will never for the rest of my life fully understand and i think we're just all happy now that he got that nomination finally for black klansman and the oscar for best screenplay but so yeah john singleton um, at the young age of 24, got that nomination, followed it up with Poetic Justice, which, when it came out at the time, starred two performers who were primarily musicians, Janet Jackson and Tupac Shakur, and would, and received mixed reviews, which we'll talk about, because I think, you know, once again, when you look back, it doesn't fully make sense to me how that movie received the amount of mixed reviews it received, Um but we'll get into it. And then 1997 is a movie called Rosewood, which I think is a uh, near masterpiece uh, from him that came out and was uh, well-reviewed, but um, criminally underseen. And finally, in 01, a movie called Baby Boy, which when we talk about the melodrama, I do think, and we'll get into it, he found a perfect lane to drive in with baby boy that speaks to his growth as a filmmaker and a storyteller to some degree by the time he got to that movie, which that, you know, that's his sixth movie. Right. So, and then obviously after baby boy, um, he makes the, he makes the shaft remake the year before. And then after baby boy, he, he kind of, he's heavily action adventure genre with too fast and furious four brothers and abduction ultimately. Um, but regardless, those are the three movies, Poetic Justice, Rosewood, and Baby Boy. And um, yeah, and then for me with John Singleton, my history, I had seen all these movies. Um, you know, he's been someone, I think ever since I fell in love with Spike Lee, whenever that was, I, I, I let's say film school, maybe a little bit before that, I think naturally I uh, navigated over to John Singleton and, you know, the Hughes brothers, for example. Like I remember kind of discovering all those movies as a piece almost like I remember falling in love with do the right thing. Um, I remember seeking out jungle fever, seeking out Crooklyn, a few of the earlier Spike Lee movies, and then watching, you know, menace to society, boys in the hood, dead presidents, right? Like movies made by younger black filmmakers that I just, you know, just coming on the heels of me falling in love with Spike made a lot of sense and and i really like the wood is another movie that i really enjoyed when i was younger i don't know if you've ever seen the wood that's mm. that's omar epps is in that one as well um who's in uh higher learning which will i think we'll talk about briefly so yeah revisiting some of these was a treat for me and you know obviously made me sad as well because this is a guy who we're not going to get any more films from and i think being 51 i feel like he had so much more he could say obviously and 
and it is a shame. But you know, we sh- we should feel blessed that we have what we have to to look back on. So, okay, so Boys in the Hood comes out. It's a cultural moment, right? It's Ice Cube's in it right at the moment that Ice Cube's exploding, you know, in the music world as well. Um, it strikes a chord where it needs to, obviously breaks into the mainstream this is early 90s it's set in la this is obviously right in the period of rodney king la riots right like it's speaking to the moment in the moment at the moment one of these things where it's like within years of these events you have this movie as a cultural touchstone which i think you know of course you couldn't plan something like that and the fact that it exists in that time frame is unbelievable and then i think look it's like with a lot of young filmmakers you almost have to to fall into a sophomore slump because the first one hits so big. How could the second movie, you know, enter like, how could the second movie live up to the hype? So I think with poetic justice, that's kind of what happened. I think it came out and I think it did okay, but I think people wanted it to be this next big thing. And I think ultimately it just wasn't that. What did you think about it? I I think poetic justice He's clearly trying something different, which I think some people, I think that puts them in a gear of like, oh, is it a sophomore slump? Because it's like it's dissimilar from Boys in the Hood to a certain degree. But, you know, he's he's trying to make this broader romance while still touching on a lot of the same themes. And so I think you, it that movie finds itself. I can understand why it got mixed reviews at the time. If you think about like where people's heads were at in terms of the dude who made Boys in the Hood. But looking at it now it's just sort of like oh he's just it felt like he was just trying to flex his muscles a little bit and and really kind of do something with some of the same kind of general themes but expand upon them you i think you just get to get to a point with that movie where he's trying to do a little too much and i think the movie kind of suffers from it for poetic justice you mean yeah yeah i okay. think I, I think because it doesn't linger enough on like he makes a road movie right which on its face is a really watchable like eminently watchable romance right between Tupac and Janet Jackson I don't want to say the other things are kind of shoehorned in because he does tee up Tupac's relationship with his daughter and his music aspirations right and I think where the movie caps off and and the tragedy that sort of wraps it up uh, or starts to wrap it up in the climax of the movie it feels almost a too little too late and I dare say tacked on a little bit. He just like isn't making that movie for like, you know, an hour and a half and then it, yeah. and then it becomes that movie. Yeah, I mean, but, they literally, they, they drive away from it quite literally and, and yeah. tackle other things and then come back to it. Yeah, I, I, I yeah. hear that and structurally. It, yeah, It's something that I noticed in watching all of the movies we're going to talk about literally like back to back to back. It's something I don't think he recovers from for a while in his filmography and just in his skill in his skills as a director as you go through it, his work until, like you said, until we get to Baby Boy. Because Baby Boy, there's this really interesting, like, not just return to form after something like Rosewood, right? But return to form in the sense of, like, taking what worked in Boys in the Hood and what worked in Poetic Justice and like really leveling them out where there's that's still that dose of, I think, very intentional melodrama, but definitely handled with a level of, uh, I think, just general skill yeah. and deafness that like really helps Baby Boy kind of soar where something like Poetic Justice 
doesn't as much, right? I and I do stress like it's very watchable. Like while I was watching it, I was in it. Yeah, I mean, basically, Poetic Justice is a relationship road trip movie, right? Um, that is very inward looking. Yeah, it's interesting. Poetic Justice and Baby Boy have a lot in common, I think, in that way where it it you know it's Tupac. Uh, Tupac's really second big role. He's in the movie Juice uh, in 1992, which is a good movie uh, with Omar Epps, actually, which I would tell people to seek out. I believe Ernest Dickerson is the director of that movie. And um, I think one thing Poetic Justice highlights when you rewatch it or watch it for the first time is that Tupac was a really a pretty great actor. Um, and yeah, he really kind of you know we I, we lost him early, obviously, yeah. of course, um, at a, a crazy young age. But the movies he made, I mean, Above the Rim comes to mind, obviously, Poetic Justice, obviously, uh, Juice, um, among others. Um, even you know, probably um, his best movie, and now I'm not going to remember the title, is the movie he made. Oh, his best performance, rather, is the movie he made with Tim Roth, which I think is one of his final movies, which I'll look That's up. The one I was, um, but. You know, he was a really interesting screen presence, and I think it really comes through in this movie. He's playing second fiddle to Janet Jackson, who plays a poet, and her name is Justice. Justice. And yes. Question. Um, go ahead. So John Singleton's daughter yes. is named Justice. Is mm-hmm. that before or after this movie? That's a great question I that we should probably look up. <laughs> um, so... Two two things to be uh, to be looked up as we talk about this, but yeah, I mean, basically, uh, Justice witnesses the murder of a of a boyfriend at the beginning of this movie at a drive-in. And fun fact: they're watching a movie starring Billy Zane and Lori Petty, which is just such a 1993 moment in time of you know they shot a scene yeah. from a fake movie that stars yeah to tank girl and the phantom which i just right. love but, i can um, i tell you when it, as soon as i saw billy zane i i got a little disappointed when the movie he was in was fake i right exactly like i kind of was like oh billy is billy billy zane gonna be the bad guy in this movie i'm down let's do it and then like and then it kind of goes away and i was very uh i was very upset but it's fine uh, yeah also poetic justice 93 yeah Justice Maya Singleton, uh, born 92. in ninety two. Born yeah, in ninety two. So you have to assume yeah. it. It may be cor- either corresponded. Must, or must have just justice. been happening at the same time, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. and basically what happens is uh, Tupac gets thrown into the picture, and then you have um, a second couple led by the great Regina King, who is also in Higher Learning, which we'll talk about um, briefly. And then it becomes this thing of just, you know, look, an examination of young black men and women and the relationship structure and the cultural assumptions that def- that kind of speak to how a young black man who is trying to avoid, you know, getting into trouble, but also is playing a role of tough guy, whereas they don't really believe it themselves. And in the Tupac character of Lucky, you can almost see the beginnings of what will be the more fleshed out version of Jody, who is the titular baby boy from Baby Boy, right? Where, you know, you have these handsome young black actors playing a character that's subverted, right? Where they're, when, we, when you first meet them, you think, 
you think of them as one way because you're meant to, and then there's a softness and a vulnerability and a fear that drives them once you get below the surface. And as you watch the John Singleton movies, especially the ones we're talking about, which I think the three we're talking about are arguably maybe his three most complex, actually, um, in terms of the characters in them. It's obviously something John Singleton is thinking a lot about and just kind of exploring, which I think is super interesting. And also another thing to note of these three movies, John Singleton did write Poetic Justice and he wrote Baby Boy. Um, Rosewood, he did not write, but you can obviously feel the personal passion with that movie as well. So You can kind of, and we'll get to this when we dive more into Rosewood, I kind of also, while watching it, could feel him wrestling with that movie a little bit right like with a movie he didn't write being like i'm gonna like really working to like put his perspective and stamp on it which is kind of which is super super interesting um there's also as i was kind of going through these uh there's recently uh just uh after his his untimely death uh there was a piece in the new yorker called uh morning john singleton a guardian of black cinema i encourage everybody to seek it out uh, if you haven't read it it's uh it's great and it it's observations on just him and his like if you're just curious as to why uh the loss of singleton is kind of really tremendous uh and terrible uh, outside of just general loss of human life the loss for cinema is, is is a huge bummer, and it makes a really, really good, strong case for for why that is. Yeah, we should link um, that in the uh, you know the article for the for the podcast. One of the observations, um, one of the observations the piece makes that uh, that I thought was really fascinating, and I kind of was watching a lot of these movies through this lens, is his movies aren't just about sort of subverting the tropes of like the tough black male, but also like the women who have to take care of them. Right. And like, oh, my God, of uh, course. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And and I mean, poetic justice is like wholly about that baby boy to the mo- like to the. Extreme. Well, yeah, I mean, I it's literally exactly think of Regina that. King in poetic justice and Taraji young Taraji P. Henson in baby boy. I mean, yeah. there's so much happening there with those two characters and just the what they have to do deal with these men, you know, who are just like <laughs> struggling. And, and it gets I'll say this. My only criticism of most of these movies, um, they're a little long, and it, but it 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 can be to the movie's benefit to a certain degree because even something like Poetic Justice, um, Regina King wa- wa- finds herself in just all of these just crazy arguments that Tupac and Janet Jackson have to like overhear as they're in the back of this right. mail truck. But can we and, agree? No one does an argument better than Regina King. Oh no. She's I mean, tremendous. Maybe Tragic P. Henson. Like literally right. like there's an right. art to the like fight. You know what it I mean? Does, that... It does also make you realize like, cause that's the other thing I was thinking too. Like I don't, and n- not to rag on them, but like, I don't know if ice cube has actually given a better performance since boys in the hood like he's so good he's very good i mean he i mean he's got i I feel like you're choosing to forget triple x state of the union which (laughs) i don't appreciate and john carpenter's ghosts of mars where he plays desolation williams so are we there yet are we done yet but i will say earnestly 21 jump street he's he's very funny yes very true both the jump streets all the jump streets yes um but there's this thing of, and I felt the same way watching Baby Boy and 
poetic justice because Regina King features obviously even more prominently in that that she does in Boys in the Hood. But like when you look back at his filmography and you realize like the um, the wealth of talent that he like helped like oh my mine God. is insane, is insane. And um, yeah, I mean those I, first three movies, right? I mean four, yeah. four movies, right? You have when you think about um, well, no, yeah, those those first three, especially Boys in the Hood, Poetic Justice, and Higher Learning. It's just it's crazy. A murderer's row. It's crazy. Amazing yeah. young acting talent. And yeah, I don't know. It's that that's like another part of it. Cause not only did he like discover some of this talent in some cases, he he really put like their best some of their best work on screen. Like I was sort of remarking while while my girlfriend and I were watching Baby Boy that like it's a real bummer that the fast franchise has turned Tyrese into the you know the just zany comic relief because like right. to watch him in something like Baby Boy, I'm just like oh he's like a really good actor and and is nowhere near given the uh, given the chances I think he probably should to, yeah and to be able to flex those muscles and the three movies he made because he made three um, John Singleton made three movies in a row with Tyrese uh, Baby Boy Too Fast Too Furious and then Four Brothers and Tyrese is great in Four Brothers too um, Tyrese is also a way different character in Too, too Fast Too Furious yeah, than he is in the sequels right it's like totally different he becomes crazy. the comic relief almost like yeah. the kind of the goofball or whatever I just yeah. want to jump in and say that Tim Roth Tupac Shakur movie I was talking about is a little movie called Gridlocked um, and it's about two like drug addicts who are trying to uh, get into this detox program and they can't do it. And it's basically this, like it's this, I, I love this movie. It's basically this Kafka esque one day journey where these two drug addicts are trying to get clean and they can't because of all the bullshit and red tape that's involved in the process. And it is one of these things where I'll tell you, their names are Spoon and Stretch. Um, I think the movie has a bit of a following now. Um, I know it kind of you know came out right at the end, you know, so I think it was a bit overshadowed by obviously the the death of Tupac. But if you can seek it out, it's directed by um, a great, actually a great black actor who is a very good director as well, uh, Vonte Curtis Hall, who played um, the journalist in the Daredevil show. That character, what's that character's name? Ben something. From the Daredevil comics. Oh, um, anyway, you would know his, his this guy's face. He's a great director, great actor. Um, Gridlocked is such a fun, insane, sad, tragic comic movie, um, and I probably and I think probably Tupac's best performance. But yeah, I mean, Poetic Justice. Getting back to that, um, I think Janet Jackson. I you know, looking back at some of the reviews, she got a bit of criticism for the movie. Um, you know, in the movie, she's a poet, like we mentioned. She loves Maya Angelou. Maya Angelou has a cameo in the movie. Um, this one kind of interesting scene at a park, I believe, um, with her. Um, and I don't with the three with the three women at the barbecue. Yeah, she's Aunt, yeah, she's yeah, that's Aunt, a good scene. Yeah, Aunt June is her name. Uh, just yeah. looking at the credits here, but um, you know, I don't know. I think I, I can understand the criticism of Janet Jackson's performance in as much as. It's not as memorable, I suppose, as Regina King or Tupac in the film. But but for carrying the movie, I do think she's doing an admirable job. And I do think the chemistry between the two of them is there. Um, and I think, you know, and this is something, once again, 
I, I feel like I feel bad for poetic justice because I keep we keep going back to Baby Boy, basically saying that Baby Boy is a little bit better. But I do think you you have the blueprint there of what will become this beautiful performance from Tyrese and Baby Boy within the context of poetic justice, which he made you know eight years prior. So you know. Um, it, there's a lot to pull from, and you can tell, like Connor's saying, he's trying to expand his palette. Now, obviously, John Singleton, he's from, he was from South L.A., right? So Boys in the Hood feels, you know, like I said, not only ripped from the headlines at the time, but ripped from his own life, right? Very right. personal. And Poetic Justice is in the same world, but you can see him building onto that and trying to explore different avenues and then I think with higher learning, if we want to just quickly talk about that, there's so much. It's almost like he, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. What, I honestly don't know where it's. To begin it's with almost learning. him like maxing that out to some degree. Um, you know, so higher learning. You know, I wouldn't call it a B side. I think you know it, it made almost forty million dollars when it came out at the time in 1995. It's got a bunch of people in it. I mean, literally, like just everybody's in this movie. Um, yeah. And essentially, it it's, ta- it's a very much a time capsule. Very much a time like capsule in terms of the cast. It, it, yeah. it essentially takes like literally like Morris Chestnuts in it in like a cameo, right? You know what I mean? Right. Like, right. Omar Epps, Christy Swanson. Yeah, the three leads, ostens- Connelly, you know, yeah. the three ostensible leads are Omar Epps, Christy Swanson, the original Buffy, and um, Michael Rappaport, who at that moment was kind of an indie darling. He had made, made a movie and is, called Zebra. Is in- He's in Poetic Justice. I know. He's, he's got end. a small... Yeah. Right, right. Michael Rappaport, yeah. yeah. So, um, Higher Learning takes place at a college called Columbus University, uh, named after Christopher Columbus. And yes, they do talk... Not the, on the and nose. yes, they do talk about it, of course. Yeah, um, not on the nose at all. <laughs> and the premise is... Um, no, look, I rewatched this, actually, this morning before we recorded. Um, I was engaged with it. I had a memory of this movie being like a type of crash, right? Oh yeah, I mean and it, it is. is. It is very but much. it is yeah. more intelligent. Like and 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 look, I'll I'll go on the record. I I don't hate crash when it came out and I was a younger man, I liked it. It affected me. Um I've obviously grown into seeing the flaws in it kind of a deep way, but but I'll never say I hate it because I feel like I'd be being disingenuous cuz it did affect me when I saw it. Higher learning is I feel like it's an insult to directly compare the two just because higher learning is dealing with some, you know, there is angles that it is taking into account that I think Crash is clearly af- afraid to even, like when you want to talk about melodrama, like my God, yeah. like the, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. two different levels. Um, I think too, I mean, it, to, and to your point, uh, there are things, I think that's the thing with higher learning. It's not the things that it's handling because i do think and i think this is another thing with with john singleton's movies right even if they got mixed responses his intentions are basically unassailable right Mm -hmm. like the things he is and the things he is attempting to do with a larger the larger half uh, of his filmography are, are you know you can't really fault him for trying any of it i think the only sticking point, narratively speaking, with some of these movies, particularly higher learning, a little bit with poetic justice, like I said, is that he tries to do all of it, right? And there's and there's no real sense of like measure to it. I do think though, to your point, there were things as I was watching Higher Learning that I was like, Oh, you know what? I don't even know how many other movies I've to this day 
seen talk about X, Y, or Z, right? Like there's that, there's one scene in higher learning where Lawrence Fishburne, who plays a political science professor, uh, kicks Omar Epps and Christy Swanson out of his class because he doesn't want to give anybody basically a free ride and they have not yet paid their full tuition fees. So they essentially have to go to the bursar's office and like fit and figure it out. Right. And you see just on paper, like the, the bureaucracy of the numbers and the craziness of, you know, the cost of higher education and all that. And it's a brief moment. I granted brief, very on the, Well, you know, it's the only other movie that we've uh, probably, we've seen that deals with that is our friends, Nick and Katie Gray's paper store. Yeah. Right. Which past and future guests. Yeah. Nicholas and Katie, which uh, came out, you know, 20, uh, what is it? You know, 15 to 20 years after, you know, higher learning. So, right. Right. So if you, I mean, if you're looking for another great uh, takedown on, on higher college politics, yeah, you can watch the paper store, but yeah, no, I, I, I thought of that because I was just kind of like, Oh, I don't like, this isn't, it's a thing people talk about, obviously. Sure. Of course. In, in the cultural consciousness, obviously constantly, but I just don't know how many times I've seen it just bald faced in a movie like that. No, yeah, and exactly. There are a few other things like that throughout the movie. Well, look, the whole that- the whole Chris. Now, look, Christy. Swan- so let's just quickly say. So basically, yeah. these three freshmen who we mentioned: Christy Swanson, Michael Rappaport, and Omar Epps. They're new to Columbus University. Omar Epps is a track star. Michael Rappaport's this weird white kid who is going to college. He's and like from doesn't have from friends, Boise. and he's. Yeah. He's clearly just looking for, you know, a direction. And then Christy Swanson is a really sheltered, shy, naive, you know, very pretty young woman from the rich part of L.A. And they're all having their own experience in, you know, the early phases of college. Now, I will say this. There's high level drama in every, you know, every minute of higher learning. What I do think works, especially when you compare it to something like Crash, which once again, we will stop doing now, but just to kind of put a button on this, one thing I think smart with the setting is that college is a time where that stuff does happen in real life, where it does feel like high drama a lot of the time, at least in my college experience, and I think many people's college experience, it does feel like an inflection point for you're, you're not a kid anymore, but you're still very young and you're told you have to be an adult. And you're dealing with a lot of elements and a lot of emotions. And it is a Petri dish of a lot of bullshit that you have to go through. And I do think higher learning with its setting does well in exploring that. Um, and to your point about things that aren't explored in the ways they're explored um, you know, in this movie, Christy Swanson has this whole thing. This rape happens to her. It's very hard to watch. And then the rest of the movie, uh, her part of the movie becomes about her dealing with that in her own way. And I was, in rewatching it, reminded that they handle it with an intelligence and and a thoughtfulness that I found to be, you know, refreshing is the wrong word because it's harrowing stuff, but, um, you know... Interesting. I, 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 yeah. I mean, I, I think when you take it, you know, I don't know if, 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 if the same scene were to be put in a movie in 2019, I don't think it would read well at all. But I think when you take it in the context of when the movie came out, which is 95, right? Yeah. You know, you know, that's, I guess, what I mean by like Singleton's motivations here and, 
and with a lot of his movies, even if even if he misses the mark because he swings too big or too broad, I think his motivations and intentions are basically unassailable. Like I think the as you said, the intel like the level of intelligence he at least attempts to tackle all these subjects with. Uh, yeah, like super admirable. Like to your point, there's a framework with the Chrissy Swanson character where her, her rape is then followed by her sexual awakening. Uh, and they, they're not, I don't know that they're meant to be related, but the movie, the way the movie's structured, there's this kind of, it kind of conflates. There's a conflation. That's a little, mm, you know, yeah, that's a little tough. And I think if you were making that movie now, you'd see that and kind of be like, we got to figure out, or almost like you're saying, Connor, make a choice of what to focus on as opposed to doing both. Right. Which I think, right you know, this movie is just choosing to do both in a lot of different ways. Cause then, you know, with Omar Epps is every character, you know, especially the three lead characters, there is that right. The Rappaport one being like the most kind of egregious. Cause it goes from, it it's, goes so you know, what's funny like, as I say this though, in 2019, it well, doesn't feel that kinda, ridiculous. Like that's kind of what I was saying. You know, before. a weird white I, guy becoming a Nazi. I feel like yeah, is I, I would have thought it was weird eight years ago, and now I'm kind of like right, eh. right. That's that's kind of what I was saying. Like I think the things that are in this movie still narratively don't necessarily click for me. Right, in terms of you're just like okay, like you're you're sandwiching so much in that everything feels like a broad character, yeah. kind of a broad caricature to a degree, and the movie. There's really no way around that. But, I, again, I think he wasn't shying away from the fact in 1995, he's like, no, these things are still problems. Right, right. And, like, we think that they're not problems, and they are, right? And so there's that aspect of it that, I that like I said, I think is super admirable, like him just being... And, and even, you know, when you get to something, and we'll kind of use this as a segue, unless there's something more you want to say about higher learning, but, like, when you get to something like Rosewood, like, when that came out, it did get some flack for basically like how how didactic the movie feels, and it does. I even I was texting you as I was watching it. The first forty five minutes of the movie, it feels super measured, especially if you've just watched something like, you know, uh, the levels of slight melodrama right. that are in Poetic Justice and the high high melodrama that's in higher that that that's in Higher Learning. Um, Rosewood just as this period piece in nineteen twenty three. Um, feels really measured when it starts. You're like, oh, okay, right. Like, this, well, I think okay, Rosewood like, is built. It feels like he's constructing real characters, right? Rosewood is built in a way different way. Yeah, it does feel like. Yeah. Um, I would almost so yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll get into. Well, I guess why don't we just do it? So Rosewood, 1997, right? Um, immediate follow up to Higher Learning. So like we said, Higher Learning it does well. I mean, it makes 38 million dollars. It would be in 1995. I would have to assume, you know. That was pleasing um, to all those who were involved with it um, at the time. Just a little bit better than Poetic Justice. I do think it gets, um, you know, the response. You know, it's not winning any Oscars, let's say, right? It did make me a little sad. I'll just say this. I really felt like Christy Swanson was rather wonderful in the movie. And and it is one of those things where I look back at her career and I, I do. I am a little surprised she didn't become a huge star. We we kind of did her dirty a little bit, and I'm just curious. It, like, yeah, she's 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 
She and Billy Zane she also had, both appear in The Phantom. Uh, right, the exactly. I was going to say, The Phantom fun. is a super underrated movie um, that comes out only the year after uh, Higher Learning, where Christy Swanson is the female lead. Yeah, I just it made me sad a little bit that she didn't pop, um, you know, in a way that, I don't know, you know, Steve's thinking of The Phantom, Catherine Zeta-Jones did, right? So Right, right. And even, I mean, not, well, this is the last thing I'll say about Swanson, but, like, I recently uh, rewatched uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and she's great in it. Yeah, I guess it, there must be a reason. It's just with those people, and this is part of the reason why we do this podcast, honestly. With those people, like a Christy Swanson, I, I, I do always, I'm always like, huh, I wonder what happened. Like, was it just bad movie choices? I mean, she had shots. I mean, she made a movie called The Chase with Charlie Sheen that wasn't very good, right? She, like, made movies where she was no, the bite female. Bite your tongue, bro. <laughs> the Chase. Everybody <laughs> loves The Chase. Um... And then even with Omar Epps, it's a little bit more explainable because I love Omar Epps, but he was in a lot of, I mean, you know, Love and Basketball, The Wood, like we said. And then I think ultimately with Omar Epps, my man started making the house, right? Like he was just in TV yeah. shows. He started, you know, it's hard to say no to that TV paycheck. So, um, you know, when you think about him, I think it's one of those things where you're like, it makes a little bit more sense. Um, and I think he's back kind of making movies now, which is cool. So Rosewood is 97. And I think this is what I wanted to say. So you're John Singleton. You make Boys in the Hood. It's huge. And then I think what happens is you have two movies that come out, 93, 95. They don't disappoint necessarily, but they don't hit in the same way. And so you're falling into that kind of almost like a Soderbergh thing after Sex Lies where you're like, he is good and we do like his movies, but people seem not ultimately overly interested in them, like from a commercial standpoint. And so any sort of cred you had to keep making these stories maybe is starting to fade away. So Rosewood feels like a a big shot. And I think it was. I think it cost somewhere around $30 million. It didn't do well. And we'll just say that no. off the bat. It's based around the real-life uh, Rosewood massacre from 1923 in Florida in which literally a black town in Florida in a race riot was wiped off the face of the earth, right? By these terrible white racist, you know, uh, people. And, you know, it's one of these things where history claims something like two white people and six black people were killed, but estimates, you know, for the amount of of black people murdered is like, you know, closer to 50 when you read about it. Right. But, you know, on paper, in historical um, documents or whatnot, it's it's six, but by all accounts, I mean by all accounts, a, count, a town disappeared, right? So, basically, what John Singleton builds in this movie is is this is this town of Rosewood. It's a mostly black town. It's near a white town. There is there's a tenuous living near slash togetherness happening. John Voight plays a store owner who is white, obviously, and is engaged in an affair with um, a black woman in town and has a and has a wife. Am I wrong? Am I right on this? Yeah, no, no. no. So he's his situation is basically he has two sons uh, and a wife named Mary. The two sons are not hers. His wife had died about seven months, seven or eight months prior to the start of the movie. Uh, And he's basically been having to also having an affair with his Shop assistant, yeah. Um, who is uh, Don Cheadle's cousin? Don Cheadle is a uh, 
is a music teacher in the, in in the, the town. town. And then you have a guy in a horse who is, um, his name is Man, M-A-N-N. And it's his, he's played by Ving Rhames. He basically comes into town with money to buy land. And he's this mysterious figure. And this is kind of, I read some criticism where you take this real life massacre and what what Singleton then built was this essentially a Western style movie. Kind kind of. That's an that's an interesting criticism. Sorry. Well, continue. just the idea of and this is this comes up when you take you know, I, I look, I, I let me say off the bat, I do not agree with this criticism, but just to kind of put it in context. Basically, obviously this man has a name, but it is this thing of a man with no name. You know, no one really knows who he is. He comes into town, you know, looking to settle down and people side eye him, you know, white and black people like, but obviously primarily the white people in the town side eyed him. And he um, is there right at the moment of this massacre that's about to happen. Yeah. And I think some of the criticism was this like piece of genre entertainment, the structure around this real life tragedy. I think that's a silly, I always kind of reject stuff like that because this is a movie, right? So it's like, you're making, you're making entertainment and the story of Rosewood should be told and you want people to see the movie and you want people to be entertained, even if it's this horrifying backdrop. And I love Ving Rhames in this movie. And he's so good. He's so good. And And um, I, yeah, go ahead. Go on. No, you go. No, no, no. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, he he's so good. And I think th- that kind of criticism, I mean, I he is largely fictionalized. Like, and again, this is just, this is according to IMDb. Yeah, I believe his character um, is, there's no real life uh, it, comparison, I don't think. Yeah, they're like, they're like basically may have been, there was one newspaper from uh, Chicago that, that, sort of reported that there was a soldier named Ted Cole who appeared okay. and fought against the lynch mobs. But like the newspaper never verified that and it has not been reported anywhere else before or since. Right. So he's considered yeah, and in the movie, he's a the, world war one vet vet. Right. And he, so he's con- largely considered fictionalized. Right. So I can understand why people might be like, Oh, they're just making up a character to like anchor this thing around. But I, I guess I would say I'm more in your camp, Dan, in the sense of like the tension of the movie. This movie's also not like you think it's going to be a Western. Like you think that there are going to be like a series of shootouts where Ving Rhames is just like lighting a bunch of racists up, you know, and there aren't like it's the tension of this movie is the growing tension in Rosewood. In the town, and right. like, well, basically, because yeah, like, this this white man played by Lauren Dean, his wife named Fanny is having an affair with another man and it goes bad by Robert Patrick. Right. And, and it goes bad. And in trying to conceal her infidelity, Fanny claims that a black man attacked her. Right. Right. And that, that inciting accusation ultimately is the spark plug of what then becomes, and this is once again, a lot of this is fictionalized in in terms of history does not know. I don't believe what exactly sparked this terrible riot, but you know, all of these details are built around the ultimate riot and, 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 you know, destruction of this town of Rosewood. Um, so like Connor's saying, 
the tension of that lie spreading and then all the white people just basically gathering together while this poor <laughs> this poor sheriff played by Michael Rooker tries to I don't I don't know if I'd call him poor sheriff. Well, I he mean, sucks, but like I, yeah, I, he's I, in... Well, I, yeah, I like the performance though of that Michael it Rooker. It is a good and it's a good it's like a good role like yeah. you expect when I saw that, I like he's not Bruce McGill, right? Who's just this right, like right. you know the devil on earth? Which like, I think it speaks to once again a thing about Singleton I love is you can see in in so many of the characters, even if they're not the lead characters, like a Michael Rooker, he's he wants to explore every nook and cranny of what causes. You know, hate and racism, and yeah, and, and I mean this, and this, this, I think this movie, movie really gets yeah. at it, and yeah. it makes yeah. me so sad that this wasn't some big hit. I mean, look, it's hard to imagine it could have been given, you know, what you you end up watching, you know, which is just this, you know, really just unbelievably it's sad, br- it's brutal. brutal. It's brutal. You know, yeah, you know, you know, children crying while they're trying to escape, and the whole world burning down, and. You know, there's a couple of cool moments of Ving Rhames doing cool stuff with his gun, but I mean, it like you're saying, if you're expecting to become Yojimbo, you know, right? It, I it guess doesn't my, really. You're right. It doesn't that, really that, become that. That's my point. Is like I think the criticism as as this like glamorized western or, or action movie in the face of this horrible tragedy really doesn't track because like the movie is is the tragedy, right? Like it's not, you know, the most it gets is the you know the climax of the movie involves like a train that they're using to, to flee Rosewood and you're not sure if they're going to make it or not. And Ving Rhames has like a shotgun on the train. So that's maybe the most right. that yes, it gets yes, there. Yes. But, but even still that, I don't know. I mean, that, that still feels like a payoff to all the tension. No, you know I totally I mean? like, agree the, with you. I mean, look, the movie is literally blowing off steam, yeah. right? They're on this train that is literally just like chugging along. No, right. And, and I think, um, I don't know. I I mean, I agree with you. I think one of the things I really loved about the movie is that it, again, and I don't mean to keep harping on this, but his attempts at examining these things, even if they feel broad and even if they result in caricatures like Bruce McGill's character, which is like just uh, just the most, the biggest mustache twirling racist maybe like up until Leonardo DiCaprio was in Django and literally, literally twirling his mustache. Yeah, and 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 it's it's you know it's bonkers to watch because you're just like oh my god like all of these people are the worst right right and there's a level of in the midst of that and I think the reason the Rooker character um, even though he sucks and right, and the void like and the void character yeah the like the reason they're interesting to watch is because you're just watching these guys who are. You know, not to not to like let them walk with it, but like they're opportunists, right? Like, like they're both sort of like, right? You know, trying to make the best of their situation amidst all this conflict, even before the conflict even starts, right? right? Like, Rooker doesn't care about black people. No, no. He just like he just like wants to stay sheriff, and then suddenly, when his need to stay sheriff is predicated on helping this lynch mob because they're the people who are going to elect him. Uh, it it just gets total, and you just see this dude who is like a wreck of a human who's like out of his depth because he let it get so far out of hand. Right? No, totally. And and same same thing with Voight. There's this level of like 
Voight doesn't really care about black people. It's just, you know, he, he lives with them. And I don't, I wouldn't even go so say, go so far as to say he's like shitty in the way that he like tolerates them. Right. But he just kind of like is living his life and he wants to buy another tract of land. And he like, you get the idea that he basically wants to like own Rosewood. Well, yeah, I think he's, he's a great, I mean, and this once again brings it back to, I think some of Singleton's movies are hard to like because they're complicated, right? Which, you know, I suppose you could say the same as Spike Lee. I don't know. I mean, making it a one-to-one comparison, I don't really like because I do think they make far different films. But it's that thing of John Singleton wants to explore these things. And, you know, I'm looking at a couple of quotes here just on the Wikipedia here. And so Singleton, right, talking about why he made the movie, just a quote here. I had a very deep, I wouldn't call it fear, but a deep contempt for the South because I felt that so much of the horror and evil that black people have faced in this country is rooted here. So in some ways, this is my way of dealing with the whole thing. Okay, very, you know, obviously interesting. makes a lot of sense. They also hear, there's a quote from Roger Ebert's review. He gave it a very positive review. Um, and I think this is just an interesting point of maybe why the movie failed, but also why it's a shame. What makes it more is the way it shows how racism breeds and feeds and how is it taught by father to son. It's not easily summarized in ads and does not obviously appeal to either blacks since it documents such a depressing chapter or whites depicted as murderous or ineffectual. Perhaps it will appeal to people looking for a well-made film that tells a gripping, important story. Now there's a notion. And I think that's a great point. Like ultimately, it didn't appeal to many people, which is a shame. And I would urge people to go out and look at it because I do think... It may be John Singleton's best film, um, you know, without the cultural relevance, of course, of Boys in the Hood in terms of how it affected people. It may be his most well-made film, Rosewood. Um, And I think he's so deeply exploring a character like John Voight or a Don Cheadle, right, where these are people who want to just... They don't care, black, white, you know what I mean? The, the idea is they want to, or even Ving Rhames for that matter, right? Like they, right. He just, they just they want to be. be. Like, they just want to yeah. live, right? And yeah. obviously Ving Rhames has a history with white people that gets revealed and is kind of crazy and, and, and you know, part of this fascinating character he plays. But he's just looking to buy land. John Voight's just looking to buy land, right? Like they're just looking to live their lives. And with that can come apathy, of course, and apathy, of course, can allow for terrible, horrible things, right? And that that you think of things like Schindler's List and, you know, all these other terrible examples of the human condition and how we can allow ourselves just to forget or ignore or look away. And so the movie in those characters um, really does explore it. And even in like a Lauren Dean, who's just this horrible person, it explores what we talked about in briefly referencing baby boy, but also poetic justice, that thing of hate is bred from fear, right? So Lauren Dean is this man who's being cheated on and believes his wife was beat up, but you, you know, and And you get the sense like kind of halfway through the movie, because there's the movie also really draws out the revelation that she's been lying, right? Like it almost, it almost comes out a couple times and then it gets drawn out and by about the middle point of the movie, when this all is going on, you get the sense that Lauren Dean knows. Oh, yeah. that. And that, what I think right. is fascinating about it is you get this, it's like this really horrifying revelation that you're kind of like, oh, they probably, they, like, they all know. 
but like nobody cares. Like they're just they're all using it as this Excuse. like activation. Oh, yeah. yeah, this activation look, to like unleash their hate. And that's and, the horrifying point of, of the movie, right? And I think and not to not to get overly, you know, current political, but it speaks to the moment we're in right now where you have a lot of that happening. The activation we're talking about, once again, you know, Singleton's on to something, right? Like like totally. he's he's totally. like you're talking about with higher learning where it's, you know, these things are not over. This is right. even a better, I think, rendering because it's more focused of that idea of like, hey, man, you know, if you put someone out there who you allow to be a certain way, you're going to activate the hate that is bred from fear from a lot of people. And if there's somebody telling people that it's okay, and then there's a bunch of other people willfully ignoring what's happening, those people will do terrible things and they will feel right. vindicated by it. Right. So yeah, and I, that, yeah, to your point, and it's a great point where I think Rosewood, I mean, in a, a terrible way hits on that perfectly. Yeah. I, I think it makes, it's what makes the movie like very uncomfortably engaging. And you brought up, you know, you brought up Spike Lee before and I was, I had this kind of in the back of my head as I was watching some of these movies. I think the, key difference between someone like Singleton and someone like Lee is that I think Spike's movies are way more satisfying to a degree. I think Singleton in by no measure was ever afraid to like just like let right. like give something the ending it needed just to have that ending. I mean honestly I maybe Poetic justice is the closest you get to that. You mean like, right? like, like you mean like a crowd pleaser type thing? Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, I, I, think, I think I think Spike is is one or the other, right? Like, I, I think there are some of his movies, like something like Do the Right Thing, is a perfect balance. But then look, something like sure. Black Klansman and this look, um, you know, Boots Riley, who made um, who made uh, remind me of the movie. Sorry, Sorry to bother you. Sorry to bother you. Yeah. You know, he wrote a takedown of Black Klansman that criticized the movie of doing exactly what you're saying of basically taking this interesting story and Hollywoodizing it and simplifying it and kind of praising this cop who in real life had a complicated, you know, had a complicated relationship with his own people and da, da, da. And how, you know, that is something that is to be wrestled with in some of Lee's work. Now I, I, I hear that. And I think sometimes you get it. But then a movie like Clockers, for example, which was one of the lesser seen of Spike Lee's mid-90s movies, doesn't really do that. Clockers chooses to really explore this, you know, specific world and and Spike Lee's choosing, maybe to your point, to be, um, to refuse to go a certain way with it, um, which... You know, Singleton only made nine movies, right? Spike Lee's made many, 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 many right, more. Right. So I think you know. So he's afforded himself the chance. To yeah, and do I both. think, and, right. and you know, I, and I think, look, one of the reasons I think he's one of the top five filmmakers who's ever lived is he can, you know, he has a very altruistic voice, but can work in all these different avenues and and make something that's supremely entertaining, like Black Klansman, or complicated and hard to deal with, like Clockers, or perfect, like Malcolm X and Do the Right Thing, you know, and something that's yeah. just so willfully misguided, like She Hate Me or Girl Six, right? Like he's done it all, and I think it's makes him easy to love in that way. Um, 
But with Singleton, you have these nine movies, and you're right. I mean, I think his refusal, at least in the first, right, the first six to like, um, you know, make anything simple is all the more reason to praise him, you know? And I think, I like, when you, you know, then you go from something like uh, like Rosewood that feel feels like a uh, big swing, right, obviously, in terms of, like, scope, budget, all of it, right? Yeah. Um, he has Rosewood, and then he kind of keeps that stretch going with Shaft. Well, and you feel right? like he had to make Shaft after Rosewood because he needed a hit. I mean, that's what I, you know. Sure. Now, he writes Shaft, and I think, uh, you know, I'll, I'll be honest, I have a... A fondness for the remake of Shaft. There's actually a, a second remake of Shaft coming out of this right. year, this very year. Um, it's not. It's kind of a sequel. Yeah, it's like a remake because I think Sam Jackson's in it and Richard Roundtree. And, and yeah, Richard Roundtree's yeah. also in. So so it's and Eric D. Snyder, who him and uh, Jeff Baird do uh, movie BS with Baron Snyder, which is one of my favorite uh, podcasts. Eric D. Snyder made this joke where it is funny. Because the original Shaft, which is stars Richard Roundtree, you're right. The Sam Jackson Shaft, he's Richard Roundtree's like nephew or something. Right. And I think in the new Shaft, it's like a third generation. But what's funny is they're all called Shaft. <laughs> right. <laughs> and yeah. And they're like which sequels. Like, I kind of like. I, I guess I it's like, just a little like, confusing. I don't know. It's funny, um, but. Yeah, but he does. He does shaft. It does okay. Uh, all seventy million. Yeah, 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 yeah. It does. I mean, it makes over a hundred worldwide. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 basically the ending is recut. There's a whole part. Um, Christian Bale's talked about this. He's the racist bad guy. Christian Bale, young Christian Bale, is basically playing yeah. like kind of like a Donald Trump Jr. Actually, in, in hindsight, right, um, right, yeah, 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 right after American Psycho, where Christian Bale was kind of hot. Um, there was a whole scene at the end where Shaft and Christian Bale get in a fight at an airport that was this whole thing that when they tested the movie did not play well. So they recut the ending and a character they added a lot of parts, a lot of like a lot of minutes for was Jeffrey Wright, who plays this this like street gangster. He's like a drug Yeah, and he's like a mini kingpin guy. His name is Peoples. And yeah. I love Jeffrey Wright in the in, yeah. the in the Shaft, and so that's one of those funny things. The movie is a little choppy for that reason. If you watch it, it doesn't really track, and Christian Bale kind of just goes away at a point. But it is worth it for some great performances, um, including Christian Bale. I think is actually pretty good in it. But Vanessa Williams, um, you know, Sam Jackson just being amazing as per usual, and uh, more than anybody, Jeffrey Wright. Um, so it does well enough that I think he's able to then make Baby Boy, which is kind of his last, you know, movie that feels like it's coming from the world of Boys in the Hood, right? Of, of I mean, it, it's the last one that I, I don't, well, I don't want to say no, that because I love Four Brothers. Four, four Brothers, four, four Brothers feels like a Singleton movie, but like, but yeah, I, I get what you're saying. I, I mean, I think. I mean, he I he leaves like he, he leaves L.A. after this, right? Because you know, Too Fast is L.A., but it's part of it's a sequel. So, and then um, Four Brothers is Too Fast is isn't Too it's Fast Miami. Miami? You're right. You're right. I'm sorry. Right. You're right. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then yeah. and then um, with who with the bad guy Cole Hauser, who's in who's, uh, Higher who's Learning, in Higher Learning, he yeah. plays John Learning 
and then obviously yeah. Omar Epps plays John learning the the famous yeah Nazi. Omar Omar, uh-huh. Omar Epps plays Dale Hire no um yeah but and then Four Brothers is Detroit and then Abduction is Dale how did you where did you get Dale? I don't know I don't know <laughs> sorry, and then sorry, and then <laughs> Abduction is uh, famously who gives a shit USA I don't know but it's oh, uh, I let's not even yeah, I, don't I even that's, talk about let let that but let that be the last time it's spoken of. But after Shaft, right, he goes, uh, he goes obviously notably, notably smaller with Baby Boy. And um, I have, of the ones we're talking about, I think, I, I think Rosewood's probably the best. It's probably my favorite. Um, but to your point earlier, the, the thing with Baby Boy that uh, I think is the most fascinating about it is just how complicated it is. And like, the role that Tyrese Gibson is given in this movie is um is is a great role because it's like kind of unenviable. Like it's he sucks, right? Like that's oh my god, kind of the whole dude. Tyrese the, taking this role is like is it's insane. What did John like, Singleton but, have to do to convince him? Because this yeah. guy is a and look, I mean, I it's such a great performance. He is a yeah. By all measures of the street and whatever, whatever you know, we all think of what a man is. This guy's a pussy, right? Like that's that's like the idea with this guy. This guy, um, and he just he's just Jody, so you know? yeah. He's just like just like an emotional monster. Like yeah, it's it's insane. The opening shot so, is just like so memorable, and it's like it's. I mean, I don't. I almost don't even want to spoil it. I feel like you no, should just no, no. watch the I, movie. I would but. encourage anybody to seek it out. I mean, I I think again, uh, not so much a problem with Rosewood. Rosewood's over over like two hours twenty minutes, so right. it's like kind of long. But this movie's over two hours. Th- that's my one complaint about this movie. It's, it's a little repetitive. Minutes. Yeah, this movie should be ninety minutes. Not unlike it's not a little unlike Poetic Justice. Yeah. There's a cyclical nature to like just the disputes and the arguments and the and the like all of the fighting and like the you got to grow up and like there there are like too too many scenes between Well, I think if you Rings. look at the movie Singleton Row actually I think that's and you said this before to some degree that's a common problem. I think when Singleton's yeah. writing it and directing it there are scenes that can probably go away. Sure, sure. Um, and, and I think actually and Baby Boy is... Not to dog the dude. I mean, no. He's dead. I'm not trying to like, no, speak no, no, ill but, here. But but quite earnestly, I think it's the one thing that drags this movie down because he he gets these points across in such, in such wonderful ways, but then they start to come back so cyclically that by the end of it, uh, it does feel kind of long in the tooth. So when it does wrap itself up, you can't help but feel like, oh, you, you could have gotten there. Yeah, you could, if this is where you were going, with I think it, you could have got. Baby here. Boy is you know, the worst culprit minutes. of that. I think of yeah, these movies we're sure. talking about. That being said, I think the Tyrese performance is unbelievable. Yeah, so basically, Baby Boy is this movie in which the titular character, Baby Boy, um, as he's called in the movie uh, a, f- a few times, uh, his name is Jody, and he is played by Tyrese, Tyrese Gibson, and. He's just this, you know, it's a coming of age, though he should uh, late, late he should have already age. come of age. And that's kind of yeah. the point of the movie is he's this uh, young 20s uh, man who lives still lives with his mother and is juggling a couple of kids and a girlfriend and then someone else he's kind of seeing on the side for a portion of the movie. And well, it's basically it's like two. Yeah, it's a couple because it's yeah, it's like. It's like two baby mamas, basically. basically right? Yeah, like, I mean, which like, we're... We, we, and a number of them. Right, Taraji is like yeah. the main 
squeeze, if you will. And uh, she's uh, very good in this movie. And um, essentially, it's just about him growing up, having to grow up, having to like learn that he's got to get a job and move out of his mom's house and you know support his you know his lady support his kid and his name is joseph sorry i'm looking at imdb oh is that his Did like they, his name is joseph name? summer jody though they call him jody i believe yeah i don't think they ever call him joseph it's that that's just funny i don't think they ever call him joseph in the whole movie anyway and sorry. ving uh rames uh, plays melvin who's uh, Jody's mom's new boyfriend, and he I love in this movie. And this is just like, I think the more Ving I like remind myself about, the more I realize that yeah. this guy was. It, it, I mean, yeah. he's still around, obviously. Is really, I mean, I guess you could say he's got limited range or something, but truly, I love him as an actor. Like he he has been obviously in all the Mission Impossible movies. He's in a Walter Hill movie I love, underrated uh, boxing movie called Undisputed with him and Wesley yeah, Snipes. Good very good in that. He's in these two um, John Singleton movies, you know, which Rosewood is like one of, I mean, he's so good. We already said he's so great in that. This is a completely different type of performance. And this is like when the movie starts, you think he's going to be a certain type of way. And in moments he is. But then he's... There's like a whole nother part of this guy, and they yeah, and they th- get in the, Tyrese and um, Jody and Melvin get in a fight towards the end of the movie that goes in a direction that I thought was like it's so surprising and effective and just so speaks so highly of John Singleton's ability to, to direct actors and the performance the performances he gets out of these actors. I mean. Really memorable stuff. And that's the movie. I mean, the movie, just in terms of plot, that's what it is. It's basically following Jody around while he learns lessons, essentially. Um, uh, Cuba Gooding Jr.'s younger brother, Omar Gooding, is um, Tyrese's friend. And Snoop... Sweet Pea. Sweet Pea. Yeah. And Snoop Dogg shows up way late in the movie as uh, Taraji P. Henson's ex-boyfriend just out of jail. And it's funny because when you look at the promotional material for Baby Boy, obviously Snoop was very popular when this movie came out. So he's like heavily, Which heavily like really in the weird, posters. He's, and he's really He's basically a third act plot device. Yeah, he's like the it's like, sixth yeah. lead in the movie, but um, yeah. he's fine. Or I, I guess mean, fifth act in the case of this sure, movie. Sure, I mean, it, it is that type movie. of, yeah, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, this, like I was saying, it feels like, when you think about the first three movies, when you think about Boys in the Hood, Poetic Justice, and Higher Learning, this feels like a, a growth as a filmmaker. This feels like John Singleton learning all of his tricks, um, honing all honing his craft, and then making a movie that is very deep in character, very deep in you know in sense of space, very deep in sense of home. And if if there is a criticism, like Connor said before, it's probably that it's 20 minutes too long. And, you know, you maybe yeah. blame that on the fact that the guy wrote and directed this thing. And, you know, there's obviously a very deep connection he has to the material. And, you know, if it means he had trouble cutting a couple of scenes, eh, it's kind of hard to blame him. I, yeah, I mean, I guess that's the thing. I Self-indulgent is not really the word here because um, it, it does – it it does feel like he thinks that everything kind of has a point. It's not just that he's, you know what I mean? It's not that he's like, I want it in there. So it's gotta be in there. It, it, it does all feel like he feels it, it has a purpose, but I just think that to your point earlier, if there was, 
if there was another writer in the room, they would have been like, we can maybe take this Ving Rhames scene and this Ving Rhames scene and this Taraji P. Henson scene and this Taraji P. Henson scene, and we can make them once. You know right. what I mean? Like, there's just a way to condense the movie that I think obviously isn't on display here. But it's really hard to kind of ignore just like the like the tremendous performance Tyrese is giving. Like, he's so good. It's like crazy. And like, to your point, what did Singleton do to get him to even take this role? Like, it's so Well, just because he is such... Like, he, I don't even know if he ever even has a moment. I guess the ending, I mean, without overly spoiling, I mean, it's a coming-of-age movie, so you can kind of guess where it goes. But I'll tell you this. Um, I was going to say, um, I don't even know if he has a moment of victory, you know, like it, no, throughout that, the that's movie. No, that's the thing. Which That's the thing, and it, that's, that's, like I said, I think... I think it's Singleton doing the thing of like, look, I, this dude might not actually get his shit together. Well, and I like, was going to say, the movie ends, I, yeah, yeah, I cared so much about the character actually, and I don't ever really do this. I rented it on iTunes, and with about forty five minutes left, I actually scrubbed to the end to just almost <laughs> make like, sure. Make I was just like, well, I want to. Okay, all right, and then I scrubbed yeah. back. He, and again, I don't want to get too spoilery, spoilery with it. I do think the movie does a lot of really great things. It almost feels, uh, and listeners, if there's anything out there that you know that I don't, that you want to feel free to correct me on, please do. But it almost, the, the way that I was watching this movie was that it almost feels like Singleton obviously gained some success, moved moved on in his life, right, to, to achieve a certain amount of fame. Um, and came back to this movie almost as if to like come back to your old neighborhood when you're older and be like, oh man, like it still hasn't changed that much. Right. And right. like to, to look at almost, you know, a, a younger generation to a degree and like see the same problems, but in slightly different ways. Right. right? So this feels quite literally like the baby boy of boys in the hood. Right. Like he, he examine and he even subverts that. Like he even plays up, like literal plot threads that are from boys in the hood um, that come back in this movie, albeit with different characters, obviously that don't quite play out the same way, or they are, they are positioned to play out in a similar fashion and then, you know, go maybe a different way. And I think it's really, it's, it's amazing to watch in that context. Right. And to see him really almost like look at someone like, um, Look at someone like, say, the Regina King character, you know, because she's so uh, minor in Boys in the Hood and like see that manifest itself in the character of Taraji P. Henson. Going back to that point of that New Yorker piece of like his movies becoming more and more about like not just these men and what they deal with growing up in these environments, but like the women who take care of them. Right. And one of the things that got frustrating for me rewatching this movie and i do I, it feels like i'm ragging on it but i and i do really like this movie is that tyrese is so unlikable so yeah, I thoroughly guess, unlikable yeah, I hear you. that 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 and it's not it, cuz on his own you can kind of see I like oh man victory, I, I really want him to get it together yeah the the the, the sorry go ahead go ahead finish your point no no but he's he's so unlikable mainly because i just couldn't help watch myself like watch myself honing in on the A.J. Johnson character and the Taraji P. Henson character because I'm just like, yeah, like the, I'm like way more interested in these women having to put up with right. like both of these right. men. Yeah. Right. Like, That's a good point. What is that? What, what is that like? You know, and I, my heart was so with them 
and I think he does a decent enough job of like of hat you know just again from a from a narrative standpoint and from a just a sympathetic lens standpoint he clearly sympathizes with these women too that's why this movie's great and that's why it's interesting and complicated because the minute that you think that he forgets you know the way either ving rames or snoop dogg or tyrese behave a certain way you're like oh man maybe singleton hates women right like it's like there, there are moments like sure. that and then and then immediately after there'll be a scene where it'll be you know two women talking to each other and they're talking about the shit and how they hate it. And you're like, Oh no, he knows like they're the movies aware, Right. Right. And I think that's the only reason the movie survives, honestly, because like the awareness is the thing that makes it interesting. And I think where the movie lands, uh, in terms of Tyrese's character is, you know, the movie never gives you. And like I said, that, that like, singleton avoiding satisfaction not to spoil it too much but like it's not like it ends with him being like i have this new great job now and i have like it doesn't do that no no it It doesn't doesn't show him get like buttoning everything up it just sort of ends on this thing of like maybe he's finally heard right like he you've heard all well and i think to your point about maybe he's finally yeah and i think about to your point about singleton i don't know yeah, the happy ending of it all. I don't know that that's something he's fully interested in. I mean, you can point to something like Rosewood or Poetic Justice or this and say maybe, yeah, he's hedging or something. But I think they all fit within the context of the story he's telling. I don't think he's ever, you know, settling for some happy ending that doesn't feel authentic to the story he's telling. And then, you know, with with the Tyrese performance, you know, though he is unlikable, I did care about him and and Taraji P. Henson. And I think that speaks to the level of, you know, quality and nuance and depth in Tyrese's performance that I, even with everything he does, rooting is the wrong word, but yeah, I mean, rooting, hoping, you know, that, that he would, yeah, he would right. see... Yeah, hoping, Hoping's the better See word. that he... See the you know, the forest through the trees type thing, you know, and, and get on the right track. And I think the ending is a great suggestion of what is possible. Right. So, so I think he does, I think he basically sticks the landing in in the way he ends this one. And, you know, though may it be a little uh, languid in its pace. um, I do think it's worth the worth the ride. Um, I'll tell you this. I ranked, the John my I ranked John Singleton movies before we started this podcast, so <laughs> I can um, me, I can I can give you them uh, as kind of uh, as we finish up here. So let me sure let me pull sure. up this thing now. Obviously, unfortunately, uh, we can't we can't necessarily talk about his future, right. but um, not unlike we did for say Humphrey Bogart. I you know maybe take a take a minute and talk about what uh, what the highlight is. You know of of this. Uh, short-lived but i think like largely successful filmography oh totally even you know even too fast too furious to a degree while huge hit the yeah huge hit and and obviously a big swing in a different direction for him uh that uh that he hadn't really done before right so yeah give me all right so i think and i gotta call it a tie for one i guess now that we've talked about it because i'm thinking about it more basically one or two give or take boys in the hood and rosewood 
and then three baby boy, four four brothers, which I really love, five poetic justice, six higher learning, seven shaft, and eight too fast too furious. And like we said before, he's not made any other movies, and we're not gonna we're not right. gonna we're mention not gonna the other talk one. about any other. other Movies. Taylor Lautner yeah. starring movies. So, yeah, could could you imagine? What oh God! Like? Oh no! Um, so yeah, I mean, look, limited filmography, impressive filmography, impressive filmmaker. Seek them out. I would start with. I mean, look, if you haven't seen Boys in the Hood, I guess start with that because it's so seminal. But if not that one, if you've seen it, watch Rosewood. Just watch Rosewood. It's so it, there's so much happening in it. I, I can't recommend it enough. There's a lot. There's just a lot to like about it. I think even again, even if you're you know put off by like the broad strokes of the movie, I still think it's so well shot. The John Williams score is is really good. Um, which funny uh, was a different score. Oh really? And then yeah, yeah. The original score was. Wynton Marsalis. Oh, Wynton Marsalis. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and it got rejected. I was trying to look into this. I couldn't really find out why it got rejected. Um, but he basically took that, uh, he took that score and just released it as an album called Real Time. There you go. And, uh, and yeah, and they brought on, and they brought on John Williams. I have to wonder, it's a John Peters movie, right? He produced it. Right. Rose Right. And, you know, you hear all these stories about John Peters right. and his just infamously general, terrible whatever stories about just, him. Yeah. Just, yeah. And so you hear all these stories. So part of me has to wonder if like Singleton maybe loved the score, but 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 uh, given the scope of the movie and the grand scheme of Singleton's career at the time, you have to wonder if Peters was like, no, we're getting Johnny Williams. Right. Like and then just like, uh, who knows? Like, I mean, Peters at like, that point, I guess it was still close enough to the Batman movies, I suppose. I mean, Peters is an interesting He's one of these guys who's been around forever. I mean, he's still his name was, you know, still on the contractually because of con- contract obligations is still on the new Stars are Born, right? So, I mean, the guy oh, the right. guy's still yeah. floating around whether we like it or not. Yeah. Um and I'll say um, this for Four yeah. Brothers. I think it to this day still features one of Mark Wahlberg's best performances. Um Agreed. Tyrese is Agreed. also very good in it like we mentioned before, and you get young Sofia Vergara in it. And uh, little little Garrett, little Garrett, and and, a, yeah. and I think a wonderful uh, 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 Chiwetel Ejiofor um, villain performance as well. Yeah, he's fantastic. Yeah, that movie's uh, generally. I mean, you know, that's in the obviously the back half of the Singleton in terms of like he's he's just kind of leaning, I think, a little more just into straight up genre right. at that point. But I do think it is a bummer because like even that, I just you can't help but wonder like if the dude was allowed to just even still just make genre movies, like what we could have, what we could have gotten. Yeah. From, like five you know, brothers, um, six yeah. brothers could have been. Yeah. Seven brides, seven, seven brothers. brothers true. That could have been yeah. good. But yeah, I mean, yeah. I think there's so much to, to glean from these nine movies. So, uh, you know, like I said, it's a sad reason to be talking about them, but I think, if 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 you can get out there and you kind of discover some of these movies, some of these B sides, you will be pleasantly, you know, pleasantly surprised slash entertained and 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 have stuff to chew on and think about from really any of these. I mean, I mean, truly, when looking at eight out of nine of these ones, you're gonna get something from it. Um, even too fast, like we're saying, I think there's stuff in there 
that is worth watching. Um, you know, chief among them, the Tyrese performance. These three Tyrese Singleton movies are are very, you know, in terms of Tyrese, very memorable. And like you're saying, I think he's very fun in the new Fast and Furious movies, but it almost these three movies speak to a different career he could have had had the Fast and Furious movies not exploded the way they did and they chose to go this right. other way. So Yeah, I just it's and I just I I almost hope, you know, if if one thing can can uh can come out of John Singleton kind of departing so soon is is a reappraisal of a lot of these movies yeah. and 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 hopefully someone looking at them and being like, "Oh yeah, let me give like Ving Rhames another great role or let me totally. give Tyrese like another great role because it's you really do look at it and it's I mean, obviously it's wonderful that like actresses like Regina King and Taraji P. Henson have finally gotten their time to shine because you watch these movies and you clearly, like I said, see that he's like, he, he mined this like really great talent. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I don't know. He really just had a way of like bringing some really, really great perf- complex performances totally. out of people um, that, uh, that yeah, I guess couldn't hold true for someone like Taylor Lautner, but we won't talk about that. Yeah. So with that being said, yeah, R.I.P. John Singleton. And if you're listening, seek these movies out. What uh, is there anything else you want to say? No, I mean, I, I, yeah, I, I'll just say, as someone who came into this as a as a general newcomer to most of his movies outside of the big ones, um, I think anybody would benefit from watching basically all of them, even the even the ones that aren't aren't as great. I would agree. Um, and then so looking forward, um. There's a plan to record a post just post Mother's Day episode with Julie Mecca, my lovely mother. And actually, in speaking of Omar Epps, the subject is now the, we'll see. Me and Connor will talk about this offline. But the subject would be Meg Ryan, and the focus would be a movie called Against the Ropes. Oh my God! Thank that God. Also no. stars Omar <laughs> Epps. So yeah, I the here's plan the for that. You know, if you're listening yeah. to Singleton, plan for some Meg Ryan in the near future. Uh, yeah, why? What do you got? Wait, don't talk about no, it. no. Don't, don't, I just don't go over. Don't go against the ropes uh, too early, my friend. No, 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 no. I'm just saying. I I obviously knew you were going to do this to a degree, but I wasn't sure if what what you were going to focus on, if anything. And so the other night, uh, I as I was looking uh, for I I. I was looking for some of these right. movies on HBO right. against the ropes currently on it HBO. Is. And I thought to myself, that is the yes. perfect Meg Ryan it inside. Is. So, so that, uh, yeah, stay tuned for that. So that's, yeah. Means. So that's, that's the plan. Um, if you're listening to this singleton episode for our, for our next one. So Meg Ryan with guest Julia Mecca, uh, a little post, uh, post mother's day episode, but until then enjoy your singleton. May he rest in power. My name is Dan Mecca and we'll talk to you very soon. Be strong, I've asked myself, time and time you've said.